0: Been doing a series of talks on the uh, core practices in Buddhism, normally called the Four Noble Truths and the mm-hmm. Eightfold Path. The Buddha was a systems thinker, meaning that he's a big fan of looking into areas of our lives. And practicing in those areas. So looking into how we see the world, our view, our perspective. And practicing in that area. Looking in our intention, how we live intentionally. What are our motivations behind how we speak and act and live. And practicing in that area. And then practicing in action and speaking and living. And of course, the core practice and what we did here tonight is being present for, being aware of, observing, being mindful of how we interact and how we live and how we think. And mostly how we're affected, how we're very sensitive to the world in which we live. And uh, against our best wishes or our intentions, sometimes we generate a lot of stress in these areas of our lives. And so to look at that too, and to acknowledge that too, and to start to be honest about the ways that we self-generate stress. And so mindfulness is a tool, it's a practice for bringing that into our awareness, for observing. Sit down for 30 minutes and I can see that my mind's not too interested in being present. (laughs) It has a lot of other things uh, to do. And that's stressful, it's hard. It's just hard, the fact that I'm really not even in control of this thing. I like to say that my mind has a mind of its own, right? And so we've been looking at the Eightfold Path, which are these eight practices or fields of practice. And tonight we're starting looking into right effort. Which is the sixth path factor. Wise, appropriate, or I I like in this sense a balanced effort. said that the path or the spiritual practice that the Buddha awoke into was the middle path. in between extremes, not black and white, but in the gray of the world. And effort is one of these things. Uh, is this cold? What's up with that? An effort is one of those things that is is hard to balance. It's hard to... Um, work with. First of all, it's hard just to slow down. Um, I want to read a quote by that I've read quite a few times here. Something that speaks to me quite a bit uh, about speed, about being caught up in the momentum of life. It's by an author, a novelist named Milan Kundera and he says speed, the demon of speed, is often associated with forgetting, with avoidance, and slowness with memory and confronting. We move slowly when we want to listen to ourselves, we move slowly when we want to listen to others in the world around us. We move slowly when we want to accept ourselves. The rush of contemporary life overwhelms us and our ability to observe, to hear, to stop, and to wonder. Society and its speed wants to blow out the tiny flame of memory. Part of how we are here, how we got our name against the stream is kind of going against what... Milan Kunra talks about the rush of contemporary life in a way. The, I just like to call it the urgency of the mind. It was very counter-instinctual. You know, we need to slow down. We need to check in. He says the rush of contemporary life wants to blow out the tiny flame of memory. Mindfulness comes from the word patana in Pali Sanskrit It means to remember the ground And so it's about remembering what's here right? And in order to remember what's here Unfortunately it takes effort It takes a lot of As the Buddha says, diligence, practice What is it like right now? Where's my attention now? It gets. I, I get caught up in all of the what ifs and the if onlys and the I should have, I could have, I have to. And this is one of the great insights I had early on in practicing meditation: is just how fucking demanding my mind was. It's like now. It's like it was so urgent. I was like dude, I drove you all the way over here so we could meditate for 30 minutes. You know? And then I'm like, I don't know, that sounds like something that's important, right? I better... And so it's, it's uh, against the stream, it's against the momentum of getting caught up in our, our... all of the places that we feel like we need to be in our mind. Effort was spoken about by the Buddha more than any other path factor. Uh, they say more than any other topic, he talked about effort. The, the word, uh, Pali word is virya, which has many translations. And so I'm going to spend a couple weeks talking about some of the varieties of effort. There's diligence, there's effort, energy, strength, courage. Effort is a part of the list, Uh, it's a part of the Eightfold Path. It's a part of the Five Spiritual Faculties. It's a part of the Seven Awakening Factors. So it's a very important part of mindfulness. It's a very important piece. And the flavor I want to talk about tonight is something uh, called samvega, which I think is a pretty cool word, Uh, but it means spiritual urgency, so kind of the more of the side of courage and the side of motivating energy or motivating effort. The story, the archetypal story of the Buddha is that he was born into a rich kid family um, and had everything, was spoiled basically, sheltered from the world. And he made a decision to leave home he was faced with this and had this urgency. And he devoted his life to practicing, to really investigating and to seeing what is the nature of suffering, and what causes suffering, and what causes the end of suffering. And in his practice, the story is that he sat under the Bodhi tree for several days and practiced the same practice that we did tonight. And he watched all of the flavors of his mind come in and try to get him to stop or distract him. The craving or desire the sense of feeling sometimes when we're sitting like there's something better to be doing, right? I get this one a lot. It's like, oh, I forgot that I have a dessert in the fridge. (laughs) I think I've been sitting long enough, right? That sense of just being moved to do something, to uh, get something, that kind of like greedy sense of wanting, And then hatred, aversion, resistance. Very, very common. If you spend any time meditating, that's a visitor that comes quite frequently for me. Sense of uh, discomfort in the body, pain in the body, discomfort in the mind and the emotional experience. Really hating that and In A sense of Torpor visited Or it's an old school word Drowsiness Drowsiness or Actually I like to call it uh, Avoidance So not just being tired That happens Sometimes we're just tired And that's okay But the type of Mind that checks out We talked about this earlier today Uh Like even people that suffer, myself included, from depression, I spent a lot of time sleeping. Right, this kind of sense of this part of the mind that wants to check out from what's difficult. And so that visited him during his experience. And then uh, uh, an obvious uh, part of our mind, the restless mind, the distracted mind. And the final visitor um, during his period of practice was the most difficult, which was doubt. The part of the mind that says, what are you even doing here? Do you even remember why you meditate? It seems to just create more stress for you. It's hard. The part of the mind that dislodges us from what's good for us sometimes. Usually as a strategy, it's, it's a way of trying to offer some help. Like, doubt works for me a lot. Like, it kind of gives me a way out. A temporary satisfaction or a temporary relief. this part of the mind is uh, as a lot of things are in the canon characterized by a kind of like demon entity named mara and mara and, and the buddha developed this ability to really familiarize himself with mara this part of the mind that's critical that's judgmental, that's doubting, that's... And what he would say is, he didn't say, you know, go away, or he didn't have any arguments or long conversations with Mara. But he would say, I see you, Mara. I see you, Mara. I see you. And at one point, Mara asks him it's kind of like the final battle face to face and says why do you deserve to be awake why do you deserve to be free from suffering and he reaches down and he touches the earth and and the earth bears witness he basically says through that action of uh Because I'm a part of this world, I have an inborn, I have a right to, uh, I'm thinking of social work, this right to self-determination, this right to respond to life, to free myself from the constant habit of beating up on myself and criticizing myself and hating myself and telling myself I need to be some other way. And during his journey, this sense of urgency arose in him, and he uh, he said, when faced with doubt, he said, "Let only my skin and bones remain. let my blood dry up. I will not give up until I have accomplished what can be done by human effort and endurance or endeavor." So he basically takes a stand to say, I'm going to do this no matter what. I'm going to find some relief in this world. I'm going to find a way out of depression, out of (laughs) being trapped by it, I should say. Some vegas defined as, I like this, it's kind of hardcore, I think a monk translated this. Anytime there's like strong language, usually a monk translates it. Uh, Translated as the oppressive sense of shock, dismay, and alienation that come with realizing the futility and meaninglessness of life as it is normally lived a humble sense of our own complacency and foolishness and having let ourselves live so blindly, and an anxious sense of urgency in trying to find a way out of the meaningless cycle. Because we get so caught up in craving, in needing the things to be different. I need things to be different, to be happy. We postpone our happiness for some make-believe time. It's like, once I get the things in order, then I'm going to be happy. And the Buddha kept pointing us back to the moment and saying, like, what are you doing here? How are you relating to your suffering? How are you embracing dukkha, the stress? stop postponing and putting off and and suffering as a result. If you've been coming for a while, I look at this as like a transformation of tanha, which is like thirst or craving, this sense of needing things to be a certain way, this reactivity, uh, transformation of tanha to chanda. And chanda is an eagerness to commit and apply oneself to a goal. That's what it means in, in Pali Sanskrit. An Eagerness to commit oneself oneself to a goal. When we see this, like we get, uh, you know, I've seen this in my life so many times of like <coughs> starting to embark on a path or something that feels good for me and being overcome with Challenge at some point along the way and stepping off and in part I think that's just a part of the dance of life is that we take a seat we have a goal we uh, try something out and then we flail a little bit and we leave the path you know and I, I really feel like when we come back to the path it's it's not that we're, we have to start over. You know, I feel like we're further along, but if we can stay the path, you know, if we have accountability, if we have community, if we have support, um, we don't have to suffer as much. I really feel like that's important. I don't know about freedom from suffering, but I do know about suffering less. And so the practice for spiritual urgency is uh, pretty interesting. It's taken on mostly by monastics. Uh, Part of mindfulness, some of the applications of mindfulness, is we have this direct moment-to-moment monitoring of our thoughts, our emotions, our sensations. We observe what's happening as it's happening. And part of mindfulness is to develop insight, right? It's to develop, uh, to see our habit patterns, how we get kind of caught in the same ruts over and over. And to take them a little less personally, kind of have a sense of humor about it a little bit. Like, my mind is no less neurotic than it was when I first started meditating. You know, it still does the same shit. Right, but but that same thing that the, that the Buddha practice of like I see you more, I have more access to seeing that. I can I can see it more often, and it's not so personal. Instead of like uh, my fear, it's just fear in the mind, right? Because I because it's it's a frequent visitor. So um you know, being able to have insight familiarity with the habits of the mind and the body and our actions the same you ever have the same end up in the same place over and over again in life how did i end up here again <laughs> It's kind of funny you know, and I don't, th- it's not about, it's not about, for me, like, stopping that, necessarily. You know, because I get, I have this conditioning, part- partially cultural conditioning of, like, that I'm doing good or bad. You know, it's like my inner barometer. It's like I'm doing it right or I'm doing it wrong. And so then what happens is when I do the same thing over and over again, I just kick my own ass. And then I just fall into shame and regret and... fall into self-pity. You know, but the Buddha said there's a healthy sense of regret also. That being and being really present isn't really a good thing if we're causing harm to ourselves or others. That we, we, we actually feel it more if we're present for it. And he was saying, and that's good. Like, it's good when we cause harm to feel it. When we're dishonest or manipulative or when we hurt someone or say something harmful, it's actually good to feel that. And that that creates an urgency to do something different. Uh, Has anyone here seen... um, uh, Pixar movie... Um, inside out yeah inside out it's a really good movie it's about uh it's about emotional intelligence that's what the movie's about and you know and and every emotion in the movie has a purpose even sadness right even anger every emotion has a place in the whole movie some of the good emotions right happiness trying to control and manage the other ones, and say, no, no, less of you and more of me, right? (laughs) But we, you know, and and through the movie, I'll let you watch it, no spoilers. Uh, We find out that there's a purpose for all of them. And mindfulness and Buddhist practice offers us an opportunity to live an integrated life, to live an authentic life, to feel the full range of our experience. And that kind of, like, sucked for me. (laughs) Because I was like, man, I want to get rid of, like... You know, and I tried so many things. Drugs and alcohol and, you know, getting the degree and the status and the praise and the attention and the relationship. I tried all the things to really make the, like, sadness and the difficult emotions go away. only to arrive back at the Buddhist teaching of like, no, you've got to, like, all of it, right? And so regret can be helpful, that feeling, can can actually bring a little bit of urgency of like, ooh, I really don't want to do that again. And so back to the practices that help develop more insight, like this more urgency, are uh, traditionally called the five reflections. I think sometimes they're called the five gifts, which I really like. And they are, I'll actually read the uh, sutta, it's very short on the five reflections that the Buddha offered. There are five facts, O bhikkhus, that ought to be often contemplated upon by everyone, whether woman or man, householder, which are us, or one gone forth as a nun or a monk. Which five? First reflection. I am subject to aging. I have not gone beyond aging. The second one. I am subject to illness. I have not gone beyond illness. Then I am subject to death. I have not gone beyond death. I will grow different, separated, and parted from all that is dear and beloved to me. I am the owner of my actions, the heir of my actions, born of my actions, and life dependent on my actions. Whatever actions I do, for good or for ill, to that I will fall heir. I think one of the tendencies around the five reflections is to naturally kind of have this attitude of, well, that's pretty morbid, (laughs) you know, we have a short life, like why spend time uh, focusing on death and getting old and getting sick, you know, and being separate from everything we love separated from you know we could have this sense of feeling like to embody that practice or to practice or to bring that into our awareness would maybe rob us of some of the wonder or some of the joy in the world in our lives But I think if we take on the reflections as a practice and really look, really acknowledge the reality of death, reality of aging, reality of sickness, of loss, and that's what we're talking about separate from, is like that we experience loss. I think that and knowing that we're the owner of our actions, that all we own really, are, and the Buddha really spoke to that, all we own are our actions. Because everything else goes in the end, right? That I think it actually helps us, it, it feels like it, it reinvigorates the sense of being alive. It brings meaning back into life albeit maybe as scary and frightening and not on the forefront of our attention every day. The Buddha was saying, actually, bring it to the forefront of your attention every day. What would your life, how would your life be different if you thought about the fact that you're going to die every day? How might you live differently? We were talking right before about... uh, Dharma teacher, just passed recently, actually Noah Levine, the guy who started Against the Stream, his father, Stephen Levine, uh, has done a lot of teaching on five reflections and death, and he wrote a book called A Year to Live, and the practice, the Year to Live practice is about doing these five reflections every day. But actually living from a place as if it were true, as if you were to die in a year, how would you live your life? You know, and it's and it's clear to me that I get so caught up, right? There, there's always the next mile marker that I got to get to in a way. You know, there's always too much stuff going on. I've seen, you know, I've seen my father live his whole life job to job and thing to thing and stress to stress. And I, too, have that same conditioning. I, too, have that same tendency to really get caught up. a Thai forest master uh, monk named Ajahn Lee Dhamidoro said, Aging, illness, and death are treasures for those who understand them. They're noble truths, noble treasures. If they were people, I would bow down to their feet every day. You know, I think that We have such a cultural sense of denying aging, denying sickness, denying death. There are whole industries that serve that purpose, of which I participate in many of them. the things we do to the anti-aging creams, right? The anti... I lost my hair when I was 18. I was in denial about it for about three years after that fact. (coughs) You know, as if aging is almost a disease that we need to cure. We dress our bodies up in makeup and embalm them and... You know, and so not. There's no judgment on this, you know, but it's interesting. It, it it is. I mean, it makes sense. You want you don't want a rotting corpse in the room when you're saying bye to someone that you love. You know, I mean, it makes sense. You want to see them how you remember them, and and so it makes sense. But at the same time, there I feel like there's a bit of kind of cultural denial. And as a young person, I have to admit that this practice has not been you know even though i i love the dharma i study the dharma i read all about it i'm obsessed with it this has not been a primary practice there's this kind of arrogance almost you know that i feel like i've had a little bit and we have a, a really youth respected and a youth-centric culture. One of my intentions in my training that I'm in is to connect with some of the older participants. I'm in this two-and-a-half-year training program through Spirit Rock, and I am one of four, the youngest people out of a hundred. So I'm a baby in the group. I am one of the least experienced people in the entire group. And uh, I had this kind of humbling insight when I was a part of the training. I was like, I really don't know shit about life. And it was kind of liberating a little bit. I, and I automatically felt this sense of like more curiosity of wanting to ask people about their experience and actually listening for once. We don't have much respect for old age and for... Uh, you know, sometimes I see old folks out and about and you know, we see their appearance and we can be kind of repelled. And the Buddha, and he has a lot of discourses where people have the same experience, where they basically see an old person, they're like, ugh. You know, I don't, I don't. And he says, you should reflect that this too is the nature of my body. And and sometimes I, I try to look and be like, you know, I wonder what this person's life has been like. Sixty years, seventy years, eighty years, ninety years alive. And so I, I, I even feel like the sense of urgency. Uh, Mary Oliver has a poem I don't remember the title but uh, the the last line of it is something like what are you going to do with this one wild and precious or this one wonderful life? And, And you know maybe there's fear there and maybe there is anxiety that is provoked and one of my meditation teacher I look up to a lot, he says sometimes the appropriate response is to bear down, is to really go into the fear and to really acknowledge the insecure nature of life. He said and sometimes the appropriate response is to actually back off and to distract ourselves a little bit and to, right? And and I have friends, a lot of friends that have a tendency towards suicidality and, you know, get caught in Losing the intention of the reflections, right? I mean, you can get in this kind of nihilistic view. It's one extreme. The Buddha was born in a in a rich family with all the pleasure, and he actually took the opposite. He was so displeased and felt so much urgency, and felt like life was so meaningless that he actually denied it all. He said, "Screw this," you know, and he. Uh, He almost had this suicidal outlook. He did. I mean, he self-harmed. He denied himself any pleasure, any joy. And he found that that was a dead end. And so this balance and uh, one of the balancing qualities for spiritual urgency is faith. One of the things that supports us from leaning too far into nihilism or to getting bogged down is to having some sense of faith and some hope and some refuge in (laughs) spiritual practice. So I think that's all that I have to offer uh, but I'm mostly curious to hear some discussion, some conversations, some thoughts uh, on the topic or anything that's going on um, for you. So the floor is open. Thank you.